0: Hey, 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 group chat, it's me, Day, And this week you're getting something extra special, introducing a podcast that y'all should definitely be checking out. Listen, it doesn't matter how old you are, we all have to navigate love, life, work, and the rest of the world, but you don't have to do it alone. I want to introduce you guys to Taylor, Jennifer, and Cheryl, three Black women speaking across three generations, tackling the questions that bring us into focus. The podcast is called When Magic Happens. It's a new weekly podcast made by and for Black women across generations. Today, we want to share an episode where the women discuss money, how you get it, and what to do once you have it. Plus, you'll also hear from their guest, financial influencer, Marquia Brown. We hope you enjoy it. If you want to hear more, search for When Magic Happens from WBEZ and start listening today.
1: Three black women,
0: Cheryl, Jennifer, and Taylor,
1: across three different generations. Trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents.
0: (laughs) Tackling topics you thought were taboo. Money in general, people like to keep that information to themselves because it's so personal. Sharing laughter, tears, and everything in between. Just the chance element of it. Yeah. Um,
1: It's a bit of a gamble.
0: Yeah, I don't do that. And and
1: (laughs) This is... When Magic Happens. Welcome back to When Magic Happens. I'm Jennifer Long here with Cheryl Jackson and Taylor Coward, and today... It's all about the money, the bag, the binges, the bread. We are talking money, honey. We talk about day jobs and dream jobs, side hustles, and the hard money lessons we had to learn early. And then later, we're talking to the money plug, Marquia Brown. She's a certified financial education instructor who's educating all the generations about how to handle their finances. So um, how do y'all make your money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's let's back it up. What are some of your money influences? When you think about how you have been framed to think about money, what influences you?
2: You know, I, I saw my my father was an entrepreneur, and mm-hmm. his niche was to help Black entrepreneurs grow. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty. Ahead of his time, um, he worked with contractors, entrepreneurs that own cleaners and, and, and car services. And I remember when my father passed on, one of his clients showed up. And he said, you know, Mr. Robinson took my one cleaners and helped me to grow it into three stores, three or four cleaners across the city. So that was, um, that was an influence. But oddly enough, I went in the career path a job versus entrepreneurship. I saw my father, you know, working with these small businesses. Um, But at that time, I think parents, black parents, were steering their kids into jobs and career paths versus entrepreneurship. But my father didn't really intend to be in entrepreneurship. He Mm. was forced into it Mm -hmm. um, because he was a black man in the South in the 60s. But I do remember my father was always about trying to make that money. He was trying to make, you know, millions. Uh, He was always looking for those big ideas. Mm -hmm. I just wish he had encouraged us to put our toe in that entrepreneurship water.
0: Maybe he was sparing you. Maybe he saw a lot and was just like, I can give her the benefits of the resources I have, and she can go off and do her own thing, but maybe I'll spare her from some of what I've had to deal with.
2: That's a great point, Taylor. That's an excellent point. Um, it was a hustle. It was hard. Yeah. I think he was looking for more stability mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. us. But I, I think that, that hustle. Yeah. And my my father, he called me by my for all of us by our first and middle name, and it was Joe Beth. You need to learn about ghetto economics. And.
1: Um, What's ghetto economics?
2: Right. Okay. I think ghetto economics is, you know, trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. That song? <laughs> yes, to make a I did. Ghetto economics is finding workarounds uh, when you can't do it the mainstream way, because the mainstream way is. Um, operates in institutional and structural racism, you have to figure out a way to make it happen with a a little amount of money and resources Mm. and stretch it. I get that. Cheryl Beth. I love that. When somebody calls me Cheryl Beth, I know they know. (laughs) Me, when. But what's so interesting is now I'm entering my third act. It is in entrepreneurship mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, it was always in my DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know entrepreneurship is a path. Yeah, my dad was an
1: entrepreneur too, and he started his career in Flagstaff, Arizona, and he discovered that the Native American population had a higher propensity to have gum disease, mm-hmm. and so we actually ended up living in New Mexico and he opened a practice in New Mexico and a thriving practice. And he actually is the, at the time was the only black periodontist in the state of New Mexico. Watching him, I always thought it was really cool how creative he was Mm -hmm. and innovative. And the idea that, man, he went somewhere that was away from family, like really in a very sort of unique space. And it really taught me a lot about entrepreneurship, what that looks like and what that means. And, hey, I'm going to think outside of the box about how do I
0: create a space for myself, you know? Is there a lesson that sticks out to you, either of you, from your entrepreneur parents about money specifically that you still use and carry with you? One thing my dad used to say
1: was don't worry about money. Mm. and it it wasn't that he was saying don't don't think about it but he was like let that not be the thing that drives you let the thing that drives you be what you are passionate about what you love to do Mm -hmm. because the money will it will come
0: Mm. yeah don't don't obsess over it right because you but like he said it'll come yeah you don't want to stand in the way of things you could be doing to make the money you right know? that's right, that's really insightful. Mm-hmm. What about you, Cheryl?
2: My father, in a similar way, Jennifer, you know, really emphasized not to worry about not having it because mm-hmm. you can always make money, mm-hmm. and there are so many ways to make money legitimately uh, <laughs> um there's a memory I have, a very fond memory I have. In seventh grade, civics class, I don't want to do this enough uh, anymore, but we had to pick a stock and watch it grow, and my father was so excited to help me with that project, and that was probably one of the most powerful memories I have of my father uh, in that class watching that stock performance and tracking it, Mm -hmm. and him explaining why, you know, this stock was performing well, and sort of the ups and downs of the market, and, you know, going to the newspaper and opening up looking for this stock. Um, And that memory stuck with me. Taylor, I know you're at the beginning of your career as a young adult. Um, How do you what do you think about making money? What is it? Money, the topic of money, something you're comfortable with, or are you learning? I mean, what's what's going on? What's your approach?
0: Yeah, still learning about money. I think that the current workforce has a lot of opportunities to make it um, in unconventional ways. I know a lot of people um, thrive in the gig economy that we're in now. In college, I used Shipped, and so I would pick up groceries for people from Target. And I already was at target for myself, you know, buying items oh. I needed from my dorm, and so that was a cool way to make money. What is shipped? Uh, shipped is an app, and they I think are powered by Target. Okay. And you, you get, oh, yeah,
2: that's right. You I, get, a, you yes. get an
0: order, and then you pick up people's items. And so I've got to learn early lessons about money that have been good, you know, about saving. And so it is just really interesting to hear your perspective and your experience because I'm still at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to hear everybody's successes and failures Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that I can use that to, you know, make educated steps of my own. Mm -hmm. Well, I know a lesson I
1: feel like I learned too late is using my money to make money, right? And What does that mean? Well, so, like, I used to live in L.A., and I remember when Bitcoin was ninety nine cents. Mm-hmm. Is that good? Yes, because okay. it was just at like thirty thousand dollars.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And I mean, when I say just, like, it was about uh, last summer when it and it's it's gone down significantly mm-hmm. since then. But I, it was it was an idea that nobody really understood. Nobody was like, mm-hmm. ah, "What's this thing? What are you going to do with Bitcoin?" And even if I had just had the foresight to just, you know, take a couple thousand dollars, put it down, and then just don't touch it, you Mm -hmm. know, and see what it does, um, I feel like that could have changed my life.
0: (laughs) But now you'll be ready for the next thing, you know, because there's going to be a thing. Yeah. And you'll be ready. And
1: you're right. And, And I guess it's always like, if I bought it at 99 cents and it hit a thousand, would I have sold it then? Probably. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's kind of one of those things where you, you never actually know. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Which is scary about money to me or or particularly investing. Yeah. Just the chance element of it. Yeah. Um, It's a bit of a gamble. Yeah. I don't do that.
1: And
2: and the key is taking on the risk early. So, with you, Taylor, at the beginning of your life, now is the time to take risks. I remember Melly Hobson. We invited her into the company I was working with at the time to talk, give a talk about uh, money. Mm-hmm. And she said that women, uh, young women, are often uh, we're conservative. Women, period, are conservative mm-hmm. when it comes to our finances. And investment, our approach to investing, we're conservative. She said, but the opposite needs to happen. She's Mm -hmm. like, women live longer. Mm -hmm. So you need to take, women need to take more risks, particularly as you're a young woman, take more risks in your investing. um, uh, Stocks that, you know, are riskier, but, you know, the gain is is bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this age when you need to start doing it. (laughs) And that's what i like to see. I like to see regular people moving quietly, making smart decisions, laying a foundation for themselves and future generations. That's what gets me jazzed.
1: Yeah, me too. Coming up, we're talking with Markeia Brown, who calls herself a generational, curse-breaking, status quo-changing personal finance education instructor. She's amazing. That's coming up after the break. Markeia Brown knows what it's like to have money issues. She had a bad situation and climbed out of it. And if you've got money issues, she's going to tell you how you can do the same and why she became a certified financial education instructor and social media influencer. But first, she explains why she calls herself the money plug.
3: What do I want people to get from me? Like what like what is it do I want people to seek me out for? And I was like, you know, I want to be able to talk about all things money and personal finance. And one thing about us, right? We we love a plug. So it yep. just came out. The money plug. So if when it when it comes to questions, comments, concerns, reviews, I want people to look look me out. I'm the money plug. I love that. So
1: what inspired you to do this? Like, what was it that happened in your life or your experience with money that was like, yo, I'm about to, I'm, I'm going to do this?
3: It mainly came from a place of, I was in a really dark place for a really long Mm. time because of money. So at the time, um, I was in a really transitional period in my life. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer in early 2014. Mm. I was going through a really messy divorce. I was raising Mm -hmm. my two kids by myself. I was transitioning out of the military the first time. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a whole lot of money saved. And Mm -hmm. I went and applied for an apartment. um, Mm -hmm. And the lady told me no. And I never heard that before. Right. But she was like, I'm sorry. I can't give you an apartment. I was like, why not? And she was like, your credit. And I was like, my credit? And so as I started kind of peeling the layers back in my own financial situation, the missed payments, the, the loans that were defaulted, credit cards that were charged off, That was that light bulb moment that was like, this ain't it. I can't live like this and I need to make a change.
1: And so how did you start? Like, what did you do?
3: The very first thing I did was I pulled... All of my any report that a financial entity had on me, I needed it. So I okay. pulled every single one of my credit reports from the credit bureaus. I pulled my LexisNexis report. I pulled my Clue Auto report so I could see why my car insurance was so high. Like mm. I went to my bank, my main bank, and I pulled copies of my bank statements for like three months. So when I was sitting there and looking at all my bank statements and I'm looking at all the times I've swiped a credit card and all this other stuff, I really had to confront some things about myself. I'm an emotional spender. So like I was mm. having to kind of reconcile with that and be like, I have nobody to blame for this but me. Cause like I was still looking for like somebody else to kind of put it on. Sure. But kind of being surrounded by all of the evidence, I had no choice but to acknowledge, nah, this was my fault. And what can I do to to fix this? And it was the cutting back on spending. And then when I transitioned out of the army completely, I started going to school. It's rough and I'm tired and I wish I had more time to do just regular stuff. But if I want to get here, I got to do something different than what I've been doing because what I've been doing isn't working. And Mm -hmm. so it definitely took a really long time for me one to pay back that debt and two to get to a place because you know after you experience really bad trauma like that that financial trauma kind of sits with you mm-hmm. um, and i started operating out of fear so i was hoarding money i was mm. you know i was just terrified to spend it i was terrified for people to look at my finances i was like it, it was it's was a very traumatic experience to get over and so once i healed from that then i started okay these are all the unhealthy behaviors that i've kind of made my peace with now what healthy mm-hmm. behaviors can i start doing. So I started mm. investing into my retirement. I started looking into, I have different savings accounts now for different purchases of, or like uh, my high yield savings for my emergency savings. Like I started mm. looking at, okay, so my kids, I don't want them to do what I did. So I opened up savings accounts for them. So it was just like, yes. I'm still an emotional spender. Cause when I'm upset, I'm going to order me a seafood bowl. And when I'm happy, right. I'm going to order me a seafood <laughs> bowl. So it's just like, right. this is still something that I'm going through. I'm still learning. I'm still forgiving uh, and I'm still healing.
1: Well, you know, what's interesting to me is you talk about a relationship with money, right? And, you know, sort of a healthy and unhealthy relationship and you transitioning from it being uh, unhealthy to healthy. So like what things were you seeing that made you create and develop a, a healthier relationship with money?
3: I started putting myself in situations to where I could see the benefit of having that healthy relationship, right? Because, mm. you know, you are the people you surround yourself with. I know a lot of times we'd be like, oh my friends do that, that don't be me. But low key, it rubs off on you and it manifests itself in different ways in you. So sure. I started putting myself in situations and surrounding myself with people who had better relationships with money. Because mm. then subconsciously, I'm following in their steps. I'm doing mm-hmm. the things I see them do or asking them, hey, how did you, how did you do? Do that and kind of mm-hmm. adopting those things through osmosis, right? Of being around these people. Um and it, yeah. and it's just something that kind of developed over time, re, you know, exposing myself to to new things when it comes to money because you know when you when you grown and you know you turn 18 and I was married, I had kids, couldn't nobody tell me nothing. Um I didn't want to hear nothing nobody had to say to me. So right. but I started listening to the podcasts and the YouTube channels and I'm reading books and I'm going to workshops. Mm. And so, you know, those also kind of opened my eyes to some some ways that I never even considered um, and behaviors that I had never been taught or were never introduced to me in a traditional setting um, that I started to develop and kind of use, especially the budgeting, real heavy Mm. on the budgeting, Mm -hmm. because, you know, That's real. And I think that's a big thing that also has a cultural relevance. Because like growing up as a little black girl, my mom was a single parent, like in the Mm -hmm. city of Baltimore, like budgeting was more so restrictive. Like you can't spend this and you can't spend that. Like it was more out of a mindset of scarcity. And once I started surrounding my people who operated, uh, I started surrounding myself with people who operated in a mindset of abundance and they look at budgeting completely different. So even though it's the same concept, I'm taking the same actions. They Mm -hmm. just being around them helped change my mindset around budgeting, which helped me tremendously.
1: I love it. Oh my God, you inspire me. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. And you know, this idea of pivoting, having the versatility, the mindset, the ability to pivot, you know, also relates to how we, um, how we make money. Okay. So I want, I want to just go there. How do you actually make money? Like, you know, I know you, you've mentioned sort of this iteration, but like now when you kind of look at your uh, sort of profile of work, how Mm -hmm. is it that you are making money?
3: So I have a salary now um, from my day job. So I'm making about a, a, a six figures from, mm-hmm. for, as a content creator um, out in L.A., I also do speaking engagements. So I do paid speaking engagements anywhere from like panels to keynote speeches. Um, That is a good bulk of money. I also do workshops and like offer office hours, um, like consulting for companies like small to medium sized companies and their employees. So that's been bringing in a decent amount of money. I also do credit repair. A lot of it is brand deals. So I've been able to partner with companies that I would already talk about, like um, shout out to Credit Sesame. They're probably like hands down the easiest company to work with, Self. Um, And then I also get paid for my TikToks. So like, you know, TikTok rewards us with gifts and tips and stuff like that for using their platform. So that's been pretty cool too.
1: When we think about the idea of an influencer, is that a um, realistic way to generate income?
3: Yes, but you also have to be realistic about the goal that you're setting for yourself. So for me, I'll be honest, I am not the standard, like mm-hmm. especially in my industry. Mm-hmm. Um, because like if I was a fashion or a lifestyle influencer, you know, there would be more opportunities, there would be more money, right? Um, but mm-hmm. because I'm a creator that has that's more niche, I'm mm-hmm. personal finance, like that's literally all you're going to see on my page. Mm-hmm. Um, the opportunities aren't you know as lucrative um mm-hmm. and they aren't they don't come as often and then because okay. i'm also a black content creator and then i'm also a black content creator who don't co-switch so that right. also doesn't really put me in you know for certain things but what i will say is i've been able to maintain a like excluding all of my excluding my job like you know my va check and all that other stuff i've been able to make a livable wage mm-hmm. as the money plug um mm-hmm. but it also came with a lot of work People mm-hmm. think it's just posting up a video when that's all I do all day. I literally spend hours combing through comments, mm. researching um, content, writing, producing, editing, and posting content takes a lot longer than some people think. Um, Going to workshops and conventions and being a part of cohorts and stuff like that to develop my skills as a content creator, because that requires storytelling. Mm -hmm. I'm cheap as hell, so it also requires me to learn how to use all the software because I don't want (laughs) to hire nobody. So, um, you know, so it's a lot, a lot of work and it costs a lot of my time, but you know i've been able to make upwards of i definitely can say just in the content creation if i take my services out mm-hmm. of the equation mm-hmm. um i definitely made over $40,000 last year um let definitely less than 70 but i know it's over 40 and that's mm-hmm. strictly from the content creation side of the house so it's definitely possible But I always tell people, if you got another way to make some money, keep that in in the wings before you devote to this full time.
1: I wish you continued success, and I feel really grateful to have had an opportunity to chat with you.
3: Thank you so much.
0: So what y'all think of that? Where was the magic in that conversation? What really stuck out to me was Marquia's transparency about how much content creators make.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's something that's kind of hush-hush online. You know, money in general, people like to keep that information to themselves because it's so personal. Mm-hmm. And so I never would have known that you could make that much just strictly from content creation. And she does put a lot of time into it, she said, but... It's it's interesting to finally hear a figure of how much you can make from social media. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think the thing that really intrigued me about my conversation with Marquia is how she took her pain and transformed it into this incredible power that she has. And, you know, she's figured out a way to generate income in in a variety of different ways which i i just i thought that was so mm-hmm. so awesome
0: and she's building generational wealth yeah that's like a buzzword i hear a lot but it's true because she was like i set up savings accounts for my kids mm-hmm. and i tell them what not to do before they can do it yeah which is very important
1: All right, that's it for our money episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and tune in every Friday for your dose of When Magic Happens. And of course, follow us on Instagram at When Magic Happens Podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Marquia Brown, for joining us today. You can find more about her and her work on Instagram and TikTok at The Money Plug. When Magic Happens is a production of WBEZ Chicago. Our truly magical producer is Brianna Garrett. Kevin Dawson is our executive producer. Tracy Brown is chief content officer. Editing by Justin Bull. Engineering by Dave Miska, Haley Bloomquist, and J.R. Strauss. See y'all next week.